She's never not knitting, and it's making her husband mad. Her husband mad. She just won't stop the stitching, and the neighbors say it really is quite sad. Hi, this is Alana, and you're listening to the Never Not Knitting podcast. Welcome, this is episode 8. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you to everyone who has left comments or gotten in touch with me. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. Well, let's get down to business. Last episode, I announced a new drawing. I confessed to all of you about my current yarn stash size and invited you to guess just how many projects worth of yarn I have in my closet. Well, a lot of you participated and got very, very close to the actual number. And that number is 48. Yes, I have 48 projects to knit in my closet. <sighs> I can't believe it. But it did make me feel better when a lot of you guessed a number that was much higher than 48. It made me feel as though maybe I don't have as big of a problem as I thought I did. But like I said, many of you guessed really close. One listener, Denise from Connecticut, was only three off. She guessed 51 projects. So she is our first winner. But unfortunately, in her comment, she mentioned that she has both of the magazines that I was giving away for this drawing, both Vogue and Knitter's magazine from this last fall. So Denise, I'd really like to offer you a copy of my latest sock pattern as a prize. So if you're interested, please email me or send me a Ravelry message and let me know and I will get that sent off to you. Thanks, Denise. Our next winner guessed that I had 44 projects. So she was only four off from the actual amount. And this listener's username, I frankly can't pronounce, but I'll spell it. I-K-K-I-N-L-A-L-A. So she wanted to win Vogue magazine. So just please get in contact with me and Give me your information and I will be sending that out to you real soon. So after that, there was a tie between two other listeners. One guessed 43 and another listener guessed 53. So they were both five off from the actual number of 48. So I have two listeners and only one prize to give away. Since Vogue magazine was already claimed by a previous winner, I'm going to award the Knitter's Magazine to Bethany G, who was unable to leave a comment on my blog due to some technical difficulties, but who left me a comment over on Ravelry and had requested the Knitter's Magazine in her comment. So congratulations, Bethany. As for our other winner, Professor Askey, you had requested Vogue. And since, unfortunately, I don't have another Vogue magazine to give you, I would like to send you my sock pattern as a prize. So please get in touch with me and let me know if you're interested. 
Thank you to everyone who participated. This was really fun. It was amusing to go through all of your comments and read your guesses, and also to learn a little bit about your stash. Looks like I'm not alone. Over the past couple of weeks, I really haven't felt very productive with my knitting. And that's probably because I've been just working on the dad sweater. Okay, that was a little dramatic, but still, that sweater, it's like I knit, and I knit, and I knit, and I knit, and it doesn't look any different. It's a lot of knitting. I've never made a man's garment before, and I'm just so surprised by how much bigger it is than a woman's garment. It seems to be just taking forever. And not to mention that it's a ribbed pattern, so it's not all that interesting to work on. But I shouldn't be so negative. It hasn't been all bad. We've had our good times too. At times, I actually kind of enjoy the dad sweater. Remember an episode or two ago, I mentioned that I don't like the beginning of a project. Like, I hate casting on and working the first couple of rows. But when I get into the middle of the project, where I know what I'm doing and there's plenty of fabric that I'm working with, I start to enjoy it more. Well, there are times where I'm in the middle of a big piece of my dad's sweater and I actually find it comforting. I like being able just to pick it up and do ribbing for however long I have and then put it down. And I don't have to think and it's just warm and woolly and big and comforting, kind of in a blanket sort of way, and it's not that bad. Sometimes I feel like that. Sometimes. But other times, it's boring. It's so boring. Other times, the color's boring, the stitch is boring. It's boring, and it's huge, and I can't stand it. And it takes all of the self-control I could possibly muster to not start something brightly colored and small really small. So you could define it as, say, a love-hate relationship. And sometimes this love-hate relationship makes me want to shove the sweater in a plastic bag and throw it as far as I can into the closet. And other times it makes me want to just work on it hardcore until I get it done so I just don't have to think about it anymore. I had originally set up a goal for myself to try to finish it by November, but it's way more time-consuming than I had originally thought, and I don't think that I'm going to be able to meet that deadline. I've been working on it pretty monogamously now for a couple of weeks, and it's just going really pretty slow. I have the back done. I finished that a couple of weeks ago, and since I last recorded, I've gotten the left front done, and now I'm working on the right front. The fronts are a little bit more fun than the back was because there are these side pockets that I had to construct and I had never done a pocket like that before. So that was a little bit different and more exciting. You can see pictures of my progress over on my blog at nevernotknitting.com. It's funny because last time I recorded I was really planning on starting something else and 
not working on my dad's sweater monogamously, but I really decided that I should just buckle down and get this sweater done. It's one of those projects that I could see myself putting off for all eternity and never finishing. So I decided to just hold off on starting a new sweater or anything else and just work on that sweater for my dad. In a moment of weakness last week, I did cast on one of the striped berets for my daughter. I just needed a quick break, something with color, something that wasn't ribbed, but that didn't work out very well, and I've ripped it out. And it's probably for the best anyway. I don't need any little striped colorful berets to, to distract me from my current commitment. That beret is causing me problems anyway. I, on an impulse, bought the book, Debbie Bliss's Baby Cashmerino 3, just for that hat pattern. I just loved the looks of it, and I thought, what a perfect pattern to use up scraps of my Baby Cashmerino yarn. Well, I didn't look at the pattern very closely, and just quickly bought it, took it home, and when I went to start the hat the other night, I was shocked to find that the hat pattern only had two sizes the largest being six to nine months. Uh-oh. Now my daughter, she's two and a half, and I was really disappointed to find that it only went up to six to nine months. And I was equally irritated because the picture of the little girl wearing the hat is maybe 18 months to two years old in the picture. It's just a picture of a toddler standing there. There's no way she's six to nine months. So I found that to be very misleading and kind of irritating. Now, I considered just making the six to nine month old size because I'm thinking, well, if this toddler who's modeling the hat is two years old, then perhaps it will fit my daughter. And if it's anything like Debbie Bliss's shrug that I made last year, the hat could potentially fit me. But then I was thinking about how my daughter kind of has a large head for her age and how bad a beret would look if it was too small and I wanted it to be really slouchy and cute and cover her ears and so I decided to try to make it bigger. I adjusted the pattern, I went up another stitch count and then I went ahead and also knitted it up on a needle size larger than the pattern had called for originally. So here I am knitting away and the hat is looking huge. I just kept knitting it as I usually do and finally I just came to grips with reality and realized that the hat is now too big. So I ripped it out and I'm just going to go ahead and make the 6 to 9 month old size and I'm just going to go up one needle size. So it should just make it slightly bigger than the pattern but looks like the pattern runs big anyway which really isn't a big shocker because that seems to just be how it is with Debbie Bliss's children's patterns. That has been my experience anyway. So I'm going to start that after I finish my dad's sweater because the weather is just getting colder and colder around here and there's my dad without his hand at sweater and I'm starting to feel kind of bad so I really got to get that done. And It'll be nice to have that big sweater out of the way then I can work on these fun small little projects and really enjoy them without this sweater looming over me and making me feel guilty and stuff. I kind of expected to finish my dad's sweater sooner. It's taken longer than I thought it would, 
So I actually might have to take a quick break pretty soon here just because I have to get a pair of the Evangeline fingerless gloves done. I wanted to teach a basic cabling class in November and I just thought that this would be a perfect way for people to practice a cable for the first time on a simple, quick project such as these Evangeline mitts. It's a really cute pattern, it looks really simple, and I hear that it takes no time at all to whip out a pair. So I'd really like to get those done before November to have as a shop sample so that I can put the class up on the schedule. Since my dad's sweater is taking a long time and I don't think I'll be able to get my dad's sweater and the mitts done by November 1st, I might have to take a quick break and knit up those fingerless gloves. It should only take a day or two of knitting, so I'm not too worried about it. Plus, I have the yarn already in my stash, so that's definitely a good thing. Speaking of stash, guess what? After listening to episode 7, I realized that I really have no excuse. I need to go on a yarn diet. I decided that I'm ready. So I posted a thread on the Never Not Knitting podcast listeners forum on Ravelry, and thank you to all of you listeners who offered suggestions. You really gave me some good ideas, and I really enjoyed hearing about what you do and how you handle your yarn diets and what works for you. So after kind of reviewing what everyone else does and listening to all of your suggestions and taking a lot of time to think about it, I've decided what I think is going to work the best for me. I have put off going on a yarn diet for a long time now, and it's only for one reason, and it's kind of a stupid reason. But the reason is that I'm terrified of going on a yarn diet because I'm so afraid that there is going to be this awesome yarn that goes on sale and I won't be able to buy it or the perfect pattern is going to come out in the new Interweave magazine that I would love to make and wear that year for that season and I won't be able to make it because I can't buy the yarn. I'm just afraid of committing myself to a diet plan and then finding something that I just can't live without. I guess it would be comparable to committing to go on a calorie cutting diet and then being invited to go on say a cruise so i guess i was just waiting for the perfect time or until i bought all the yarn in sight to the point where i couldn't possibly want anymore i i don't really know but i think actually that might apply to me now i kind of did buy all the yarn and I sort of have a closet to prove it. So the yarn diet needed to happen and what I decided to do, it's a small step, but I think it's gonna make a big difference for me. I'm not going to buy any more yarn. My first goal is to make it to the end of the year, but there is a loophole. You see, in my job, I work in a yarn shop. I trade some of the classes that I teach for the shop for store credit. So I'm going to still have my store credit available to me to purchase yarn for, say, that special project that I can't live without. But I'm not going to pay for yarn anymore. And the store credit that I get 
is very helpful sometimes, but it's by no means regular or a huge amount. So this is really going to help me to cut down. So in the future, if I need to buy something, I will set it aside and have a lot of time to think about it because I'll have to save up my store credit to purchase it. I think that this is going to help me out a lot. And if I find that it's not helping me out and I'm still collecting yarn faster than I can use it, then I will definitely go to plan B. So that's my diet plan. No cash. I can't spend any money on any yarn. I'm limited to only supplies that I can trade for. So we'll see how this goes. I think it'll be good for me. It'll really force me to cut down and to really spend my store credit wisely. And hey, if this works out for me, I might just do this for the entire year of 2009 too. It sure would be relieving to have my stash knit down a lot and to just be happy with what I have. Yeah, that's a nice idea, but we'll see how long that lasts. So in episode eight, I really wanted to talk about something, knitting phases. Many of you will know what I'm talking about. I would describe knitting phases as when you have to buy a book because of its particular pattern or you come across a pattern on Ravelry that you're just in love with and you buy all the yarn for it and you're super excited to start it and then you don't for some reason. It gets pushed in the background, you don't start it and then by the time you get around to it again, you don't like it anymore. Now, I think this happens to us all at one time or another. And to some knitters that I know, it happens all the time. I wonder why. I wonder how our tastes could possibly change so quickly. What happens to me most often is that I'll find a sweater on Ravelry and I'll put it in my favorites, I'll add it to my queue, I'll comment on it, I'll tell everyone in the world about it, and then months down the line, when I'm going through my favorites, I'll be like, huh, there's that sweater. And for some reason, it doesn't look quite as interesting or beautiful as I originally thought. And I don't know if it's because I had built it up in my mind as being something so fantastic that I had to have, and it really wasn't or if it's possible to even change your mind that quickly, I'm not sure. I felt like that about a few projects. The projects that I've felt that way about are this ruffled jacket that I have in my queue. It's out of the back issue of Vogue. The one that I just absolutely fell in love with on Ravelry was a red version made out of Malabrigo worsted. And even now, I realize that it's a cute jacket. But at the time, I wanted to start that jacket right away, and now it's kind of a take it or leave it type of pattern for me. I don't know what happened. Another project that unfortunately I started before I realized that I didn't like it was my crocheted leaves sweater. I made it over this year, and I really liked it when I started it, and I don't know if it's because I was just interested in doing a crocheted sweater instead of a knitted sweater because since I had never done a crocheted sweater for myself before or if I just got all excited about that new book when it came out. But now 
when I look at that crocheted sweater, which has since been given to my mom, I don't know why I decided to make it. It took a ton of yarn, and it's cute, but I would have so much rather have knit a sweater of that yarn. I don't know why I wasted all that money and time making it. It's weird how our tastes and ideas change with knitted things, or in this case, crocheted things. So that's why I really like to keep knitting purely at a fantasy level for a while. That way I can just kind of think about it a lot and not start it or buy the yarn right away because in a few months I may decide that this pattern really isn't for me after all. So this episode I'd like to share with you some of my current knitting fantasies. And I'm trying to be good. All of these knitted projects are projects that I can make out of my yarn stash. I'm trying to think in terms of the stash just so I don't get too excited about projects that I really can't buy yarn for right now. And actually these projects I might end up making because I've been thinking about these for quite a while and I still like them even though several months have gone by since I originally discovered them. So I right now currently have cardigans in mind that I really want to make. The first one is Forecast. It's off of Nitty.com in the archives. It was designed by Stephanie Jappel and the reason why I'm really attracted to this sweater is there are some great versions of it on Ravelry and it looks like a really fun sweater to knit. You knit it from the top down, it's a raglan style but it has a lot of exciting, interesting features that would really keep my interest. There are a couple panels of cables with bobbles going down the fronts and the back, and it switches up at the waist where you do ribbing. The same thing down the sleeves. So it looks like a perfect mixture of interesting, more complicated chart knitting with some plain rib stitches thrown in to give you a break when you're sick of following a chart. And the finished outcome is really cute. I really, really like it. And another reason why I desperately want to start it right away is because my sister-in-law just started making one and I'm seeing that work in progress and it's just looking so cute. So now I just want to start mine. And the yarn that I have in mind for it I got at the last 50% off sale and it's a yarn made by Taki and it's called New Tweed. And I saw uh, one of the forecast sweaters on Ravelry made out of new tweed, and I really like the look of it. The yarn it calls for is the Cascade 220 tweed, and so the pattern really lends itself to a tweed yarn. So I know that that would work really nicely. And I actually have two colors of this talky new tweed. I have a pretty green and kind of a coral color. So, but I think I'm going to go with green for this particular design. Another cardigan I have in mind is called the Sienna Cardigan. It is from a back issue of Interweave magazine, and of course I'll be posting a link. And it's just a really cute style. I found it maybe a year ago now, thumbing through an old magazine, and I just immediately liked it. It's got a pretty lace detailing on both sides of the button band, and it's got a cute little collar. And it's kind of more of a, how would you say, 
kind of preppy look. It's more of a conservative style, but I really like it. Something about it really appeals to me. And there's also some really cute versions out there in Ravelry too. So I'd like to make this as well, and it looks like it knits up very quickly. If I'm remembering correctly, I think it uses like a size 9 or 10 needle, and it looks like it would be quick to knit and fun because of that little lace panel going up the fronts. And the yarn I have in mind for that project is out of my huge supply of Zara Plus yarn that I got at last year's 75% off sale. And I've got a really nice pea green color, and I thought that that would look great, especially with that kind of leafy lace panel. I thought green would be perfect. Y yeah, I know, I have a lot of green sweaters. But hey, what's wrong with having 10 green cardigans? I like green, okay? So the next sweater I wanna make is not green. It's called the Rambling Rose Cardigan, and if you look on Ravelry, there's actually two cardigans named Rambling Rose, and I happen to like both of them. But the one that I'm talking about for this podcast is the Rambling Rose out of the Winter 2006 issue of Interweave Magazine. I first found this pattern from a blog that I read, Domestic Crafts, and she made a really cool, funky version of this sweater in two very bold colors. I liked it, but I didn't know if I could pull off that look, but looking on some of the other versions that people have done of this pattern on Ravelry, I really liked the way it looked in a solid color. It's great to have Ravelry because if I had just come across this pattern in the Interweave magazine, I would have never thought twice about it. The picture in the magazine of the original pattern is is not all that appealing to me. It looks like the sweater is way too small for the model and also it's done in two colors, pink and purple, which I don't know if anyone past the age of 10 looks good in, but that's just my opinion. The funny thing about this sweater is it comes in two sizes, 30 inches and 43 inches. Okay, so none of those <laughs> apply to me, but I noticed that some other knitters were able to adjust the pattern and add more stitches in between the lace panels, and they were able to extend the size that way. So that's what I plan on doing, and I plan on making it in one color, and I have a really pretty plum-type Merlot color in my stash out of, out of Rowan's classic cash soft DK. So I think that that will look really nice. Really look forward to making this pattern because there's this really fun scalloped looking stitch at the bottom that I've never seen before that I would love to try out and some nice lace panels and I think that it looks really fun to make. Okay, I forgot. There's another cardigan that I want to make too. And this is also out of stash yarn. When this yarn went on sale at the shop, I just had to buy it because I've always liked it. And there was a pattern using it that I've known about for quite some time out of the book Classic Knits by Erica Knight. And that's the Mademoiselle jacket. It's a beautiful cardigan made out of Rowan 
classic natural silk Aran yarn, which is a really nice kind of rough, rustic, tweedy silk. And it's not 100% silk, it's a silk mixed with rayon and linen. It's a really pretty yarn. And this jacket is just so cute. It's kind of a vintage style. It's, it's structured. It's kind of a cute Chanel style jacket that's pretty plain but has some really cute pockets. And the thing that makes it really stand out is that after you're done knitting it, you sew a ribbon along the border of the whole sweater and along the pocket borders. It's just a really, really cute style. And so when that yarn went on sale, I had to buy that and I bought the book too. So now I have that in my stash and I'd really like to make that. And I bought the Natural Silk Erin for that project in kind of a linen cream color. I liked the pink that the actual picture of the jacket is in, but if you look at the pink yarn in person, it's really like a bubblegum pink, and it doesn't look that way in the picture. So I liked the pink in the picture, but it wasn't the same color as it was in real life. So I went with the kind of linen-y color, and I'm not sure what color ribbon I would pair with it yet, but I'd probably just knit up the sweater and then take it around to the fabric stores and find some cute ribbon that would match up well with it. So one of these days I'll get around to making all of these sweaters, but it's definitely going to be easier to get to these projects with my new yarn diet now in place. Guess what everyone? Recently, my friend Audrey, one of the most meticulous knitters that I know, designed a beautiful pair of Fair Isle socks. The pattern is called Mary's Garden Socks, and I'll be putting a link to it in the show notes. It can be found on Ravelry and also on Audrey's new website, oddknits.com. That's A-U-D-K-N-I-T-S dot com. The pattern is really pretty. It has a plain, solid colored foot and a beautiful, colorful Fair Isle cuff with lovely little flower motifs. I think this sock would be gorgeous knit up in autumn colors for our current season. The pattern is currently for sale for $4.50, but Audrey kindly is offering three free patterns to be given away for this episode's drawing. So if you'd like to enter the drawing to win one of these free patterns, just go to my blog at nevernotknitting.com and leave a comment under the show notes for episode 8. Remember, there's three patterns being given away, so you have a good chance of winning one. I will take all the comments and put them in a random number generator online, and we'll be announcing the three winners on the next podcast. Audrey is such a fantastic knitter, and I watched her design these socks, and I know she put a lot of thought and effort into them, and they just turned out great. I'm sure you'll really like them too. This episode, I have another knitting story to share with you, this time from a local knitter who told me the story in person, and I told her, would you please, please record this for the podcast? So thank you to Puttermeister on Ravelry for putting this together for me, and I know all of the listeners will enjoy the story of Knitted Gifts, The Gap Between Feeling and Felting.
gift giving is most often, and ideally should be, an act of joy. As an object passed from one person to another, a gift represents not only material need or escape from daily necessity, but also an attempt to make a connection. For those of us who create hand knits, the concept of need and practicality is married to the notion of extravagance in every item we knit. In the 21st century, we can hardly justify knitting as an economical pastime. At best, if we discount the days, weeks, months, even years required to complete a knitted project, we might be able to claim we break even financially. If we count the time required to hand knit an object, even at minimum wage, the scales quickly dip deeply into extravagance. But the real cost, even during uncertain financial times like ours, has nothing to do with monetary cost. When we embark upon creating a knitted gift for someone, we choose carefully, not just the shape and nature of the item, booties, a sweater, a blanket, but also the design, the materials, the texture, the color, Every aspect of the object is considered and carefully selected. And then there is the actual process of creation. Although knitting is an occupation often undertaken while doing other things, each stitch is a kind of corporeal prayer in which multiple aspects of our attention and intention are brought together. The single strand of yarn obtains dimension and texture as it comes to embody the name of the recipient, the hopes of the knitter, the intention of material connection. We sit and we knit, and in so doing we invest each stitch with a kind of devoted repetition, an intentionality that requires our bodies, our minds, our whole selves, and is usually reserved for the sacred. So while we may not experience all of this on a conscious level every time we knit up a present for someone we love, let's be honest, even the most unconscious of us wouldn't bother unless it were an act of love, because on some level we recognize how precious is the act of turning a single strand of fiber into whole cloth. Every time we knit something for a loved one, we create an object that is, in essence, a manifestation of our devotion to the process, to beauty itself, to the recipient for whom the object is intended. All well and good. But what about the recipient? If making knitted gifts is a nearly sacred act, the reception and use of the knitted item is often rather more secular and less inspiring. Few non-knitters, or non-artisans I should say, can appreciate the emotional, monetary value represented in a handmade object. For most, I suspect, the knitted gift is largely on par with something from a boutique, and therein lies the difficulty for knitters, who know that they are giving a gift the magnitude of which probably cannot, and likely will not, be appreciated or comprehended. Such was my experience when knitting gifts for my sister and her children. A few years ago, while she was pregnant with her eldest son, I knit up many gifts to honor the occasion of his birth. As I was ill at the time, and couldn't visit or attend events like the baby shower, much less the birth, I tried especially hard to create special gifts. Several sweater sets complete with hats and booties, an alphabet blanket in wool my sister chose herself, a little teddy bear in his own lamb suit, 
Each of those thousands of stitches was precious. Each was unique. Each was meant to honor both my sister and the baby she had hoped for for so long, not to mention our own unique relationship. I packed those items up carefully, included instructions as to how to care for them, and sent them off to her. That is where my story should end, but unfortunately, it doesn't. When I was finally able to visit my sister months later, I went into the nursery to pick up my nephew after his nap and found this thing, a hairy, rough, shapeless object vaguely resembling a doormat that was hanging over the side of the crib. It was the blanket. I should, I now believe, treat knitted gifts like a prayer, something sent off with the hope that it will be heard while understanding that how prayers will be received or acted upon is beyond our control. I haven't asked to see the teddy bear, the booties, the hats, or the tiny sweaters. I now know that knitted gifts are as fragile as the intentions we knit into them, and that just because I've made my hopes material, I haven't made them indestructible. And for an item to truly be a gift, I must surrender it entirely to the recipient, not attempt to dictate how and whether it will be appreciated. So now, on the admittedly increasingly rare occasion that I create a knitted gift, I send it off like a prayer. It is a hope, an act of love, and an act of faith. And I know that inasmuch as it represents a bridge between the giver and the receiver, it also represents the fragility of the human condition itself. I also use either superwash or make sure the thing is felted to begin with. Thank you for contributing that story. A baby blanket can take forever, and the idea of finding it felted is just too much to handle. A link to Puttermeister's Ravelry page, as well as her blog, will be included in the show notes for episode 8. If you have a knitting story that you'd like to contribute to the podcast, please email me. I'm always looking for more stories, and I'd love to hear from you. Again, the show notes for this podcast can be found on my blog at nevernotknitting.com. I'm also over on Ravelry as Never Not Knitting, and you can email me at nevernotknitting at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening to episode 8. I'll see you next time. She won't even do the dishes. The house plants, they're all dead. Yeah, her needles are a-clickin' From morning until she goes to bed She won't take the time to brush her teeth Let's not even talk about her hair If it isn't about knitting She just doesn't really care Never not knitting, and it's making her husband mad. Her husband mad. Pop ramen again. She just won't stop the stitching, and the neighbors say it really is quite sad. I don't know about her. She used to be such a sweet girl, but now she doesn't knit. Nobody has clean laundry. No pants. No shirts. No underwear. 
But they have closets full of sweaters And more socks than they could ever wear There's yard in the fridge In the cupboards, the bathtub and pantry It's even in the washer and dryer That's why she can't do any laundry I need some clothes She's never not knitting And it's making her husband mad Her husband mad I'm filing for divorce She just won't stop her stitching And the neighbors say it's really getting bad She's taking pictures of socks again Oh, poor girl The house is burning up in flames Call 911 Her husband says Get up, let's go but she can't set down her project She says Just let me finish up this row She's never not knitting And it's making Her husband mad Her husband mad She just won't stop her stitching And well She's losing all she had